Our final passage is a reprise of what we just read. It'll just be from Luke 22, verse 24 to 27. Hear this word again. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise their lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand for you may be seated. <clears throat> Pray with me as we come before God's word this, morning, this, this evening. Father, we give you thanks that we can gather on this evening. I pray that you would help us to slow down. It's just so hard for us to do. But help us to take our time to think on these things, to meditate on your word, to meditate on this week, to do so in hope of what comes on Sunday, but to do it nonetheless. Speak to us by the power of your word as we consider these challenging words by Jesus this, morning, this evening. Amen. You know, growing up, uh, a question we probably all got asked a lot, or at least I did, uh, was what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you, you going to do with your life, right? You know, and when you're 12 years old, it's like, you know, some kids say, hey, maybe I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a policeman, or I want to be a, a fireman, or, you know, nowadays kids like mine say, I want to code video games. There you go, Seth. Uh, you know, th- we want to do things that seem fun to us, right, that... Uh, Things that probably make a lot of money. You know, when I was a kid, I don't know, for some reason I wanted to be a dentist. And I think it's because my dentist had a really cool car. And I was like, I want a car like that guy, so I need to have that job. I want to be a dentist. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't become a dentist, if you're wondering. Um, but you know what kids never choose? They never choose, hey, I want to be a, a janitor. Well, why not? I mean, being a janitor is good work. There's nothing less of you if you're a janitor. I'm thankful for the work of janitors, but why don't you aspire to be a janitor when you're 12 years old? Well, because we don't tend, especially in our society, to associate service jobs with greatness, do we? We associate money and power and position with greatness. Why? Because something is great only when it can actually do something. For instance, God is great because he can act, right? He can do what he wants. He has no restraints. And so the higher your power the less restraints you have in your life. You can control your own destiny. This is why we think presidents are greater, CEOs are great, because they have agency, because they can control things. Maybe more than they should, but that's another discussion. The disciples actually thought much like we do about this. Here they are in this final evening with Jesus, although they didn't know it was their final evening before his death, but this is a Passover feast, a special evening with the Lord reclining at the table, And they're arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest. What a surprising thing to find the disciples arguing about. And they were arguing about this because they were finally in Jerusalem. Remember, the Gospel of Luke is focused on Jerusalem, getting there, 
claiming what's rightfully theirs, and they finally are there. And on this night, they must have thought that, man, after this Passover feast, Jesus is going to be sitting on the throne. After this, Jesus is going to be holding all the power, having no restraints over what he can do. And so, of course, they want to be his right-hand man. Only that's only one seat, and there's 12 of them. So they're arguing and fighting. Which one of us might get to sit in that seat of honor? Who gets to have the power? And so they argue about which one of them might get to sit in this seat. And Jesus overhears this. And then in uh, verse 24 through 25, we find this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. He says to them, listen, you think greatness is being a king. Kings have servants upon servants. Kings sit on the top of the food chain. They control everything. Everything underneath them, the disciples, us today, we think that this is true greatness, being served, not having to do anything you don't want to do, living the dream, autonomy. And Jesus looks at them and says, that's not my kingdom. Not in my kingdom economy. And here Jesus turns everything upside down and he says, listen, you have this backwards. True greatness, true power is laying your life down to serve others. We find this in verse 26, but not so with you, rather let, your, let the greatness among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. He says to them, but not so with you. This may be how the world around you works, but this isn't how my world works. The greatest is actually the one who becomes the least. He says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to become as the youngest, which we understand, right? Children don't get to do whatever they want. Sorry, kids, you may think you can do whatever you want, but you can't. And uh, becoming younger is to make ourselves subjects to somebody else, right? It's putting ourselves under someone else. And also the leader here uh, needs to become the servant, right? It's the one who's in the seat of honor, ready to be served. They only become great when they actually step down and serve those below them. The greatest one, Jesus says, is the one who becomes the least. This actually should be our power struggle, outdoing one another in service. What's interesting about this whole scenario from Jesus is that he actually doesn't chastise them for desiring to be great. If anything, he actually encourages that desire to be great. He just reaims it so it's pointed at true greatness. True greatness is service. True greatness is actually humility. We're all supposed to strive for greatness in this way. But we have to have our imaginations retrained, not in the image of the American dream or any other competing dream, but in the image of the kingdom of God. True greatness is actually to become less, which doesn't mean that you won't gain more power or wealth in your life. It doesn't mean you shouldn't shouldn't gain more power and wealth in the different positions that you have in your life, but it does shape what you do when you get those things. Jesus, when he served, he didn't have any less power He was still divine. He was still holding all things together, but he used it to serve those around him. And as a pastor friend of mine, Chris Smith, puts it, the glory of this king is found not in the splendor of wealth or power, 
but in the splendor of service and sacrifice. This is what we're to strive for. This is what we're to fight after. As Paul kind of puts it, to outdo one another in love, this is what this looks like, to outdo one another in service. This is the kind of thing that sounds really great, right? These words that I'm saying are probably not new to you, but in practice, actually living this out is really, really, really hard. It seems so simple, but serving people and thinking of others before ourselves is so difficult. Why is it so different? Why is it so impossible? I think because often when we think of this kind of service, we think, okay, I just need to go, I just need to suck it up, and I need to uh, do a bunch of things. And in thinking this, we think that maybe, maybe God will love us more, maybe we'll earn favor with him if we just kind of, this is the thing, we, we do it because we just have to do it. But the kind of service that Jesus is talking about is so unnatural for us, so unimaginable for us, that it's actually only possible when we first stop and allow ourselves to be served by Christ. And this is hard for us to actually do because we don't like to need help, do we? We don't like being needy. We like to be the ones offering help because it makes us feel like we're in control, like we have things figured out. We like to solve our problems on our own. But the truth is you actually, you can't because we're all equally needy for something that we can't accomplish ourselves. And so this first step actually in a life of service Submission to Christ, allowing him to actually be the one to serve us, which is what happens on this evening as he breaks the bread, as he pours the wine, as he washes the disciples' feet. He is serving his disciples, allowing him to serve us. And in this, it teaches us to be dependent on him. We must first be served by Christ in order to serve others in Christ. As Jesus says in the John 13 narrative on this evening, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We have to be washed by Christ before we can serve others in Christ. And so our our service towards each other begins with Christ serving us, his people. And how does he do that? How does he serve us? How does he show his true greatness? But he shows his true greatness. He shows his royal estate and power, not by grabbing the throne, but by grabbing the cross. With his body, poured out, broken, his blood shed, poured out as a sign of his greatness. And in this, the cross becomes a sign for the Christian because it is a sign of actual greatness. It is what we aspire towards, which would have sounded so strange and unfamiliar to a first century Roman citizen, right? Uh, The cross to them was a sign of death, a sign of failure. Yet Christ turns even this symbol upside down and makes it the sign of us for true greatness. Laying his life down so that all who have faith in him now have life. The symbol of weakness and death now becomes a symbol of strength and life. And then Jesus calls him to himself and asks us to do likewise. Right, a student is no greater than his master. And so, even in this meal that we come to this evening to take, it is meant to inspire us to live to the greatness of Christ. Encouraging us to live into the faith that he has called us and to give us strength to pursue true greatness in our world. And in serving us, Christ actually transforms us. He washes us, he cleanses us, and only when we're transformed by his service, 
by his cleansing blood are we able to bring that transformation to bear in every aspect of our lives. And this is why we need to be served before him before we can serve others. But as we are able to allow ourselves to be served by him, as we learn to depend on Christ and on his strength and power, on his abilities and not our own strength to save ourselves, then this kind of service actually oozes out of us inside of our community. I mean, imagine, for instance, if our church became a people that served each other like Christ served his church. Imagine if we actually stopped and and wondered, what are the needs of the person next to me? Asking how I can serve before asking about music preferences. Imagine a church so preoccupied with the gospel and serving one another in the gospel that we never argued about things like colors of carpet and, and silly things like this. And just for the record, I actually see this kind of thing happening in our church. I see you serving each other well. I see you loving each other well. And as we grow in this as a community, as we get better at this as a community, as we practice this love and service together, when we open ourselves up to be served by each other and to serve each other, we actually become the fragrance of Christ in this world. Because this is what transformed people look like. It spills out in our interactions with people outside our church as well. It becomes a sweet aroma, as it says in John 13, also speaking about this evening, that the world would know that we belong to Jesus by our love for each other. This is the kind of service and love that Christ has called us to. This is the kind of community that Christ has called us, St. Andrews, to. And this kind of love is seen as we are rooted in Christ not trying to serve ourselves, but allowing him to serve us, serving out of his strength. And this is my deep prayer for us as a people, that we would learn to be like this. That we would learn to love and serve one another. That we would day by day grow in our ability to actually ask the question, what does my neighbor need? And then go do that thing, even if it costs us something. Because here's the thing, service always costs you something. For Jesus, it cost his life. And for his disciples, guess what? It actually cost them their lives too. The demands of the cross on us are light because we don't have to actually give it our lives on our own, but we actually give them in accordance to Christ who's gone before us. This is what makes this possible. May we be a people of love and a people of service. Pray with me. God of all grace and mercy, I pray that you would transform our church, whether how big or how small, that we would be a place of love and service, that when someone came into our place of worship, whether they had been there before or not, they would would feel, they would experience the unmistakable love that we have for one another. And may you continue to bond us together in love, being willing to share our needs with one another being willing to serve the needs of each other. Continue to work this out in our community as we're bonded to the sacrifice of Christ. Amen.